0: Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Freddie, for your leadership. We're continuing in our sermon series on the seven last words of Christ. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to ask Lyman to come up. I'm going to introduce Lyman to you. Lyman's a big guy. Look at that. Because he's a big guy, he has a big heart, too. And he's a heart for the Lord, he's a heart for Jesus. Some of you may not know that Lyman is our athletic manager responsible for all of our sports programs, and we have lots and lots of programs ministering to lots of kids and lots of families. Uh, but Lyman is a man of God and a man of His Word, and uh, he has a word for us today from the Lord. Um, it's good to have his family with us here. Uh, Danielle and the kids are very involved in our church. Uh, but Lyman, let's give Lyman a hand of encouragement. Thank
1: you. So once again, thank you guys for coming, Um, and thank you to Major Phil and Major Debbie uh, for allowing me to to come up on stage and share God's word, share my heart with you guys and the things that I've learned, Um, and I'm very grateful. Um, Like I always mention, every time I get a chance to preach, every time I get a chance to come up on stage, um, it just makes me, something happens, and I'm forced um, and I dig even deeper than I've ever dug before, I read more than I've ever read before, and I, and I put myself out there, and I, I really open up my, my heart and, and to allow God to, to show something to me to give to you guys. Um, but before we begin, uh, let me go ahead and just pray, pray over this time that we have uh, before I share. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, and, and right now, Father God, I humble myself before your throne, Father God, and, and I just ask that your Holy Spirit just take over, Father God. I am just a willing vessel, Father God, to, to bring forth your word. Um, so at this time, Father God, may at the end of it all, may you get glorified um, in everything. And Father God, may your people draw closer unto you, Father God, and may their faith grow even stronger than before, Lord Jesus. And we just thank you once again, Lord, and we give it all unto you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we, we're continuing the sermon series, the, last, the seven last words of Jesus Christ. Um, these are the seven phrases that he uttered, and it was captured by uh, those that wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, those four gospels, and you know, each of them kind of caught something different um, in their own respects as they saw Christ on the cross, and they heard the words that he uttered, um, and that's what we're going over, um, so not like a pop quiz, but just a quick review of what we've already gone over. And what we've already talked about. So week one, um, the first one was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, the second one was, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and that's the words that he spoke uh, to the the other person that was next to Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus was on that center cross, and there were two other gentlemen on the crosses next to him, and one of them kind of mocked Jesus, and the other one said, just please remember me when you get there, Um, and so Jesus told that guy, today you will be with me in paradise, Um, and then the third one, um, one for the guys, uh, Jesus says, woman, behold your son, Um, it's kind of like their tone, guys, this is it, woman, stop it, behold your son, no, it's not that kind of tone, I'm just kidding, stuff I tell my wife, woman, stop it, Don't do that. I'm sorry. Bad joke. Um, but but it, 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 what it really was is, you know, that was a, a precious moment, a precious time between son who's on the cross dying and, and speaking to his mother. That was a, a beautiful connection between Christ and his mother. And he said, woman, behold, here's your son. Um, and then the last week, uh, Major Phil brought forth uh, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Such a powerful message because this is the moment where where Christ is on the cross and he feels a a sort of separation because he has all that sin um, carried, um, as he's carrying all that sin on his shoulders as he's hanging on the cross. Um, And so I have the opportunity to bring forth the fifth one. Um, And the cool thing about this fifth one, it is found in the book of John. And no other gospel records what he says here other than John. Um, And that one is, I thirst I thirst. A very interesting statement, and we're going to go through it right now. Um, and the, the scripture verse that we have is in the book of John, chapter 19, verse 28. Just one verse. So I don't know if you still, go, if you're old school and you have one of those those things that you open and there's there's like papers and you got to actually scroll through the papers, it's called a, a Bible. Um, if you're if you're in John, it's chapter 19, verse 28. Or if you just, new school and you just hit search, John chapter 19, verse 28. And it says, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And so what I want to do this morning for you guys is, we're just going to take apart this verse. Because I think if we take apart the verse, even though it's just one verse, we just take that one apart and separate them accordingly, It will speak milestones to each and every one of you guys, I believe. I believe, okay? And so we'll start with the first one, that first short word, later. Man, didn't you feel the Holy Spirit right there when I just said later? Right? We could just end the sermon right there, later. And it doesn't seem all too significant. It just seems like, uh, later. But man, later assumes that there was a beginning that we had to have been at some point to get to later. That something had to have started for us to get to that later. And if you're like me, I, I'm I'm not a reader. Why not high school? Go figure. But <laughs> but I'm not a reader. I mean, I read a lot, but at some some days I'm just like I hit play, and then some some weird dudes on the other side reads it for me, um, and then, you know, every time I hit that play button and that dude speaks to me, it's always in this weird low, later. And that's how it sounds, later. But I think when John is writing this, I, I don't think that's the tone John is wanting to set up. The tone that I, that I envision is totally different. I envision it as something like, if I'm speaking to Major Phil... And I have a great story to tell him. And there's a whole bunch of details that, that are before what I want to tell him. You know, so I go up to him and say, hey, Major Phil, you, know, you remember that day when I ran into you? Yeah, yeah, you remember that? Well, anyway, later, later on that day, this happened. And so that's the tone I think John is trying to get at right here. <clears throat> See, because the later, the things that happened before that obviously is the when Jesus is arrested and he is put on trial and then he is, you know, carrying his cross and he's being whipped, crown of thorns on his head, that's the before. And John, in some weird way, but I think it's done on purpose, he leaves a bunch of descriptive things out. Not because it's less important. Because I think it's what he wants to say is even Just as important. And he doesn't want you to miss what's happening later. So when I see this, it's like an alarm that goes off in my head. and It's like, man, I better pay attention. Because why would he leave out all the whipping, all the bruising, the crown of thorns? Why didn't he get into detail as how much blood was actually shed on the cross? Why did he leave that out? But as I read this verse... I am triggered because all I hear is, man, man, Lyman, don't worry. That's, that's great. I'm glad you're interested in that. But later, guess what? And so for me, when I read later, it's so much more than just later. And then we go to the second part. It says, knowing that all was now completed. Knowing that everything was now completed. Here he is at the the later moments of his life. Speaking in football terms, this is fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, maybe last two minutes of the game. I mean, that is technically where we're at in this passage. It is fourth quarter. That means first quarter happened, second quarter happened, third quarter happened. Then later, here we are in fourth quarter, and he's completed his game plan knowing that all has been completed. So that means all the time that he was on the cross for hours was on purpose. Imagine that. There was a reason he was hanging there for hours. It couldn't have been shortened. He wasn't hanging for a minute or two, a second or two. But there was a reason. He had a game plan, and that game plan was for him to hang on that cross for hours. And at this very moment, we hear the words from John that Christ, knowing all that has been completed. So that means, it, for me, when I read that, I, I just hear that here is Christ in the middle of the beating, in the middle of the mocking, people laughing. With the crown of thorns into his skull, ribs exposed because of the whipping, blood dripping from his face and his body, nails in his hands and his feet, hanging there, just barely getting enough strength to gasp and breathe. I'm just thinking, in all of that pain, the last thing I'm thinking about is what happened before. That's just me. There is no way I'd be able to focus on making sure that the game plan is now completed. But that's what we see here. That later in this game plan, from, from the time when he was arrested to the time that we're here, Jesus had a full understanding of what needed to be done. And he was here, home stretch, last two minutes of the game. And he knew that everything was coming to an end. And he was there. At that moment. And then we get to the next part. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. And when I read that, you know, they say in Jesus' life, he had fulfilled over 300, I think it was 332 Old Testament prophecies. You know, some people speculated that his life was just, he he knew about the prophecies and so he just lived his life according to. So that he could fulfill those prophecies. 332 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. Some scientists say that you know, for him to even have fulfilled just eight of them, just eight of the 332, would have been, uh, the odds would have been one in you know, a 10 chazillion chance. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. It's not even a number. I know it's not a number. That's how ludicrous it is there was no chance for him to even fulfill just eight of them. And I'm talking prophecies about his birth, about his death, how he was to die, all of those things, 332 prophecies. So here's at this point, as he is uttering these words, he is also fulfilling prophecy. And we're getting to the end of his life and he's now realizing that here I am, I'm home stretch. Uh, I, I've, I've ran this race. I've done my job of hanging on this cross, and we've gotten to this point. And now, there's just one more thing that I need to accomplish. And then we get to our last point. He says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. If, we go to, if you go to verse 29, which is the, the verse right after, you know, it, it says that after he utters this word, I am thirsty... Um, they grab a sponge and they dip it in wine vinegar and they put it on the lips. Um, They put it on a a hyssop tree branch and they hold it up to Christ and they put it on his lips so that he could get something to drink. So that he could speak more or, or fulfill that need that he is thirsty. And then if you go back to Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, the writer David there also utters those same words. So as Jesus says, I am thirsty, it provokes someone to go and grab that, that sponge, dip it in the wine vinegar, put it on a tree branch and stick it up to him and put it on his lips. And in the book of Psalms, I, I believe it's 69, utters those same words. So here we see again prophecy being fulfilled with just those utterance of those words, I am thirsty. Now we got to remember that Jesus is, right now at this point is in full human form. As much as he is God, he is also very much human. And he has been hanging on this cross for hours. His last drink was probably the night before, the Last Supper. Everybody remember that story, right? So here we have him, Last Supper, the next day he's already being put on trial and he's being nailed to this cross. So obviously, he's probably really thirsty. I mean, I've been speaking to you for about five or ten minutes maybe I'm thirsty. I mean, I've got water. Um, but I'm thirsty. And I can only imagine how thirsty you could have been if you're hanging on a cross after being whipped, a crown of thorns on your head. How thirsty is that? So the soldier goes and puts, puts it on his lip so that he, he can um, get some liquid in his mouth so that he can utter some more words after that. But we'll just stick with this. So when I read this word, thirsty, I am thirsty, I hear that phrase, you know, as much as I want to see the most literal sense and what it really says, I am thirsty, and the most physical form of it to the human side that he is, yes, physically thirsty, man, I think there is something so much deeper than that, so much deeper than that. You know, for me, when I read this, I'm thinking, man, you know, I look back on what Major Phil talked about last week. I remember that diagram that that he showed that there, there's these two cliffs there and then there's on one side there's us and on the other side there's God and in that middle, that divide there is sin. So I look at that and I'm thinking about what Jesus is doing on that cross as he's hanging there on that cross. You know, what a tremendous opportunity it is for him to just do away with the human side and just be God and take himself down. But he's hanging there for a reason, for a purpose. Remember to, fill up the, to fulfill that game plan that he had in his mind already. I've got to complete this. But all that weight of sin on his shoulder, that is the first moment that we see this separation between God and Jesus. And that's why when Major Phillips spoke about it, you know, that's why he went and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because it was at that moment that the father realized, oh, he has this sin on his shoulders. I cannot even look at that because of the sin. Because my son is now stained with that sin. And it crushed Christ even more to have that sin on him. Because now it was his first chance to really feel what it's like to not be in communion with God. That was his opportunity to really see what it's like to not be in communion with him. And it crushed him. And that's why he uttered those very words. And my point is this so when he says, I am thirsty, I think it's so much more than just a physical drink. I think this thirst that he has, this, this feeling that he has in him, is, is to the point where he's thirsty for that reunite, re, reuniting with his father. He wants that connection back again, and that's why I think he utters the words, I am thirsty. I am thirsty for you. This sin that has caused me to have this separation from you, I don't like it. I know it's a necessary thing that I must do, so I'll go through it. I'll put myself on that cross. I'm going to hang on there as much as I can until it is all completed to fulfill prophecy. But my God, I am thirsty for you. And so I think I'm here at this point, in this morning, you know, I, I've, I've talked to my, I usually email my uncle, my uncle Frank, he's, you know, he's got the credentials, right, he, he went to school, he did the seminary thing, he's been to Israel, he's he studied a lot. And so I'm confident in emailing him and you know, asking his advice. You know, so I, before I usually preach or even in between times I preach, when I just have questions on something that I'm reading, I usually email him. I say, hey, uncle, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm thinking about this certain passage. Um, let me know what you think. And so he comes back and he usually emails me. It's usually like a, a good, a good book-length response. But what was funny was this time he just... Said, oh, that's a very interesting point, nephew. Um, that's great. Um, but this is one of those passages where you must lean on the Holy Spirit. I'm like, what? You gotta be kidding me. Come on, man. Give me, give me that book again uh, so that I could draw stuff out of it. You know, tell me the Hebrew language about that certain thing and give me all the Greek words and what it really meant when he said this. I wanna know all of that so I can say that to you guys and sound really intelligent. Right? Isn't that, isn't that my job to just sound super intelligent, blow you guys away, and you guys feel the Holy Spirit that way? But oddly, this time, he, he left me hanging. <laughs> he said, no, you should lean on the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? So for a long time, I was just puzzled. I, I, I was just, okay, I'll just I'll keep reading and praying. And so I did. And the Holy Spirit answered. And so I feel that my assignment for you guys today, you know, as we look at this verse, you know, we're not taking apart an entire passage or an entire story or an entire book, but just this one verse, my assignment is to tell you that some of us have been in these moments, in these valleys, these trials, these tribulations, so to speak. You've been climbing up this mountain. You've been struggling. You've been in the darkest valley that you've ever been. But there's good news. Because there's a later. It's like, yes, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. It's been hard. The struggle is real. I get it. But guess what? There's a later. God wants to bring you out of that, and he's going to bring you out of it. Just know that this is just a process. It will just happen. It has to happen to build your faith, to build your trust in him. But know that there is a later. And that when that later comes, it's not just going to be any old later. He's going to bring it to completion. He's going to make your faith complete. So there is a later for you, no matter what your situation is. Whether I'm speaking to one of you, or five of you, or all of you, I really feel that God wants you to know that there is a later. There is a later in that valley that you, you're in right now. I don't know if you're in the first quarter of your trial, second quarter, you might be at halftime, you might be even at fourth quarter, the last two minutes of that trial that you're in, whatever the case may be, there is a later where God's going to bring you out of it, and he's going to make you complete. But he needs you to go through that process again. He needs you to go through that process so that when he brings you out, he can be glorified. But it's not done there. There's an end so that the scripture would be fulfilled. You know, God makes promises to each and every one of us. He makes promises to each and every one of us. You know, I think about one of those promises in the, in the book of Hebrews, that he would never leave us or forsake us. That's his promise. Just as easy as it was for him to fulfill 332 Old Testament prophecies, I certainly believe that he can fulfill this one promise that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So while you're going through these valleys, while you're going through these troubling times, while you're going through these tribulations, know that there is a later. But not only is that there is a later But he is going to be with you. He will never leave you while you're in there. He will never forsake you while you're in there. And he wants to bring you out of it. He wants to bring you out of it. And so when I look at these verses, man, it it just means so much more to me. So much more. And I I even look at, um, in the book of Philippians, I believe, chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So not only will he never leave you nor forsake you, but he who started this with you will be faithful to complete it. That's another promise that God has made for each and every one of you. That is another promise that God is going to stand on for each and every one of you. That he's going to be with you in those valleys. He's going to be with you in those hard times. He's going to be with you or maybe even carry you through those hard times. But again, just rest assured that there is a later and that we just have to go through this process of faith building. But I know that he's not going to leave me and that he will be faithful to see me through it all to completion. Just as he did here on the cross as a clear-cut example for each and every one of us. And so when I read, I am thirsty, man, it just stirs me up. It just stirs me up because all I can think about is, man, how thirsty am I really? Am I really that thirsty for him? And then I've got this question for you guys. Um, and it was something that's been been floating around my mind. You know, I was I, do, I was doing the study.